the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Stand by for the Northern Alliance Radio Network. And go launch sequence. Engineering. Go flight. Master control. Go flight. Studio engineer. Go flight. We are go for launch in T minus three, two, one. We have liftoff. The Northern Alliance Radio Network is on the air. Live and local from the AM 1280 The Patriot Studios in Egan. Here is the closer, Brad Carlson. AM twelve eighty the Patriot. It is the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Back with another edition of the broadcast. We'd like to call the closer. That's me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning into the show. You can check out my blog at bradcarlson.org. And you can feel free to weigh in on any of the show items we discuss. Just weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N-Show. For any comments or questions, and as always, we appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, hey, feel free to do so. Go to Facebook.com, do a search for the Northern Alliance Radio Network, and give us a like or a follow if you haven't done so already. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in. Again, a very happy and blessed Easter to you all, for He is risen he is risen indeed. Yeah, we've got some news items to get to in the first hour, but the second hour I definitely want to focus on the spirit and the and the inspiration of this holiday, the Easter holiday. I want to again focus on that in the second hour, but in the first hour we're going to get to some news items and uh, later on this hour we're going to have on Joy Pullman, the executive editor of the Federalist uh, talking about uh I don't know if many people have heard about this, some rather disturbing new licensing rules in Minnesota that would require teachers to affirm students' transgender identities. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty frightening. It seems to me like that that is a blatant First Amendment violation, and thankfully uh, there are going to be some court challenges from civil liberties advocates if they haven't happened already. But again, we'll, have, we'll be talking to Joy Pullman at uh, 1.30. She'll be on for a segment to give us an update on that, so... Definitely looking forward to that. But I do at least want to talk about probably the big story from this past week. It is official. Uh, you know, we've been hearing about it coming down the pike. I talked a little bit about it last week. It hadn't officially happened yet, but this past Tuesday, former President Donald Trump turned himself in in New York after he was officially indicted on 34 counts uh, by Manhattan District Attorney. Alvin Bragg. Now, I hadn't been following this too closely because let's let's be honest, this is politically motivated. It it absolutely is. Now, those of you people who listen to my show, you know that I am an out and out non fan of Donald Trump. And if there was anything that I anything that could happen to ensure that he doesn't run in twenty twenty four, I would be down with, with the exception of these fraudulent 
political witch hunts. And again, again, I hate to use the term political witch hunt because Trump has basically run that phrase into the ground to where it's almost meaningless. But this is legitimately a witch hunt. And people are thinking 34 counts. How how do you get how do you get 34 counts out of a hush money payment to a porn star? How do you get 34 counts out of that? And uh, Andrew McCarthy, former uh, U.S. attorney, has been writing about this, uh, doing a great job writing about this at National Review. Uh, the 34 counts are arrived at by taking what is a single course of conduct and absurdly slicing it into parts, each one of which is charged as a separate felony carrying its own potential four-year prison term. Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen in monthly installments during the twenty during 2017 for the $130,000 paid to porn star Stormy Daniels right before the 2016 election for her silence about an alleged affair. That, in reality, is a single transaction, Trump paying back a debt to Cohen. Yet, because Trump paid in installments, and each installment includes an invoice from Cohen, a bookkeeping entry by the Trump organization, and a payment to Cohen by check, Bragg not only charges each monthly installment separately, he subdivides the installments into installments, as if the invoice, book entry, and check were independent criminal events. Voila! One transaction becomes 34 felonies. Again, that's from Andrew McCarthy at National Review. So, yeah, it's very clearly this is politically motivated. Even Trump's most fervent detractors in the leftist media, whomever else, leftist politicos, even never-Trump Republicans. In fact, Ironically enough, the most irrational on this have been never Trump Republicans like the like the uh, uh, simps at the Lincoln Project and uh, the uh, principles first guy, Tom Nichols. I'm using principles and first in scare quotes, okay, because this has nothing to do with principle at all. Even Mitt Romney. You think Mitt Romney is a uh, is a Trump stooge? Yeah, not so much. Senator Mitt Romney out of Utah issued this statement. I believe President Trump's character and conduct make him unfit for office. Even so, I believe the New York prosecutor has stretched to reach felony criminal charges in order to fit a political agenda. No one is above the law, not even former presidents, but everyone is entitled to equal treatment under the law. The prosecutor's overreach sets a dangerous precedent precedent for criminalizing political opponents and damages the public's faith in our justice system. The charges and evidence will be duly considered and the outcome decided by a jury with an obligation to fulfill its responsibility with the utmost care and impartiality. The American voters will ultimately render their own judgment on the former president's political future. Finally, it is also incumbent on all elective leaders to discourage violence and anger in response to this situation. So, yeah, it, this on a, on a much smaller scale, progressives need to be wary of what's going on here. And again, I, I, I refer to the much smaller scale as uh, 2013. Late 2013, uh, Republicans were blocking a lot of then-President Obama's judicial nominees to the federal court, you know, the uh, levels below the Supreme Court. And the Democrats only had a... Uh, I think it was like a 50, 
I think I think they had a 55 to 45 majority in the Senate, so below the 60 vote threshold. So uh, short of six Republicans voting to cut off debate on confirmation process for judicial nominees, they weren't getting through. And Republicans were blocking all of Obama's judicial nominees. Well, Harry Reid, then the Senate Majority Leader, decided to nuke the filibuster for judicial nominees below the Supreme Court, saying, you know, they invoked a nuclear option, basically saying, okay, a simple majority, change the rules, we'll get rid of the filibuster for uh, courts, uh, you know, below uh, the judicial nominees below the Supreme Court. And Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor... Mitch McConnell was the then Senate uh, Minority Leader, said, you will rue this day. You are not going to be in the majority forever. This is a dangerous precedent to set. I would advise you to be very careful, tread lightly before you go ahead with this. Well, they went ahead with it anyways, and sure enough, uh, three years later, Donald Trump was elected president, and then a few months into his first term, uh, when... Donald Trump's Supreme Court pick, Neil Gorsuch, was was filibustered by the Democrats. The Republicans said, okay, you set this precedent. We're going to finish it off. Now no, no filibuster for any judicial nominees. And guess what? That allowed Trump to get three Supreme Court picks, to which, to this day, Democrats are raging over. So the Democrats grossly miscalculated the political ramifications. And they're doing so here. Because... You think of you think of here's the thing. There are people in multiple camps here. There are those who say this is wrong. Full stop. We shouldn't be weaponizing the justice system. That is supposed to be our last line of defense. Justice is supposed to be blind. Yes, presidents are not above the law, but the exact opposite is also true. If you would not be bringing 34 felony counts against someone other than Trump, you shouldn't be bringing them against Trump either. So there are people in that camp who are actually intellectually honest. There are also, uh, there's another camp full of progressives where if this didn't motivate Trump's most ardent supporters and Trump raised how many millions, $8 million, I think within the first 48 hours after the indictment was handed down, all of a sudden, it's going to elevate Trump to a very strong position to be the nominee for president in 2024. And there are those who are like, well, okay, on paper, Trump looks like the easiest nominee to beat. But guess what? He was also the easiest nominee to beat in 2016, but he still ended up winning. Do we really want to play with fire like that again? Especially when you've got the walking cadaver in the White House that he's probably going to oppose. No, I'm still skeptical Joe Biden's going to be able to run for re-election, but as of right now, that's the plan. So obviously there are those who are scared to death thinking, do we really want to go this route again? Elevating Trump to a position to where he could win in a general election. And then there are those who say, well, okay, uh, yeah, this might be politically motivated, but you know what? As long as it gets rid of Trump, the ends justify the means. And that is a very dangerous road to go down. Again, I don't care where you are. If you're a never-Trump Republican like me, I'm not even really a Republican. I'm just a never-Trumper, period. Or if you're if you're a far-left progressive kook, you know, it, no, it's never going to be enough for those people, okay? Because all of a sudden now DeSantis is worse than Trump. Well, they're painting it that way because they feared DeSantis could actually win in a general election, whereas 
they don't believe Trump can. So I'm I'm kind of the of the F. Scott Fitzgerald mind here in that the test of first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Uh, okay, I'm not claiming that I have any first rate intelligent intelligence, but I don't believe I'm alone in possessing two contradictory thoughts. The recent indictment of former President Donald Trump is a political witch hunt, and he should not run for president of the United States. I'll come back and talk more about that uh, in the second segment. Again, Brad Carlson, the closer on this Easter weekend. If you feel if you want to weigh in on any of these topics, feel free. Hashtag Narn Show. That's hashtag N-A-R-N Show. You can also leave a comment on the show post at our Facebook page, Northern Alliance Radio Network Facebook page. Brad Carlson, the closer, back with another segment in mere moments. Go nowhere. Welcome back. AM 1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network. It is me, Brad Carlson, on an Easter Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So hoping you're having a blessed holiday with you and your family. Yeah, we're going to talk about the true spirit, the true meaning of Easter in the second hour, but we've got some things to get to in the first hour. Uh, Picking up where I left off. In the uh, first segment, talking about how I, yeah, at me as someone who, uh, as of January 5th, 2021, no, not January 6th, January 5th, 2021, when the two incumbent senators out of the state of Georgia lost their Senate races because Trump willfully sowed distrust in the in Georgia's electoral process, thus Republicans stayed home, a lot of Republicans stayed home, particularly Trump Republicans, or they stayed home and sucked their thumbs saying, well, if you're not going to help us uh, win Georgia, even though we thought we rightly won Georgia, we're not going to help you win these Senate seats. And from that point forward, I was done with Trump. And then, of course, the January 6th riots ha- happened after that, and it just further enhanced my disdain for him. So I uh, am done with Trump, never voting for him for any capacity ever again, not even for dog catcher. Uh, but I do believe that this is a political witch hunt, and it should not go forward and not to mention it could undermine potentially more legitimate cases like the grand jury uh, that was called in Georgia, as well as Trump's role in the January 6th riots. I mean, if you think those are legitimate legal cases, and they may be, uh, I think you're severely undermining those with with this, this indictment, this witch hunt. It is. And sorry to say witch hunt so often, I'm starting to sound like Trump because, that again, that phrase doesn't seem to have any meaning anymore because he just throws it out there to see what sticks. But all that being said, uh, this indictment galvanized tr- Trump's most staunch supporters. Again, as of, as of Tuesday afternoon, when the indictment was handed down, he raised $8 bucks off of this. Okay? And he's gotten some high-profile endorsements. As a result, and as of right now, it's looking like he is the most formidable GOP candidate again. But that being said, he may have the easiest path to the GOP nomination, but uh, he has no path to 270 electoral votes in the 2024 general election. He doesn't. That's just a fact. If you're a Republican, and you win the states of Ohio, 
North Carolina and Florida like Trump did in 2020, yet you lose the general election? That should be impossible. But yet Trump managed to pull that trick. Why? Because he has completely shot himself in the foot in Georgia and Arizona, two reliably Republican states in previous presidential elections. But Trump managed to turn those voters off. I mean, look look at in 2022, the stink of Trump cost Republicans a flippable Senate seat. Raphael Warnock, very invulnerable incumbent. But the problem is Trump propped up Herschel Walker, who had no business running for a statewide office in Georgia. Way too much baggage. And a minor miracle that Herschel Walker lost the general election by less than two points. My point is, is that uh, you look at independent voters. You have to be able to get independent voters. And it's very obvious Trump does not have that ability to swing independent voters to Republicans. He doesn't. You can get mad at me all you want, and you can be screaming at your radio, say he didn't lose in Georgia, he didn't lose in Arizona, it was fraud. But you're wrong. And you have that right to be wrong, but you're still wrong. And I, 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 I'm, I'm telling you this, that Trump cannot win in a general election. There is no path. If he can't win Georgia and Arizona, he has no path to victory. Period. End of story. He doesn't. Those are just facts. This is his basic math. I mean, and again, Republicans have lost independence the last three election cycles. That's not going to get any better with Trump at the top of the ticket running for president. It's just not. Let's look at some of the key swing states. Nevada. I think that's got uh, six electoral votes, I believe. They have over... 722 registered independents. That's 38% of registered voters are independents. That's a plurality of registered voters. North Carolina, 2.6 million, 36% of the registered voters. Again, a plurality. Arizona, 1.4 million, 34% of registered voters. Basically, a third of all registered voters. There's about a third Republican, third Democrat, and third independents. Republicans are losing independents as of late. And oh, guess what? If you're at the top of a ticket, hello, Kerry Lake for governor in 2022, Donald Trump for president in 2020, and you're basically bad-mouthing John McCain, who is a hero in that state, you can argue whether that has merit or not, or whether people should be revering John McCain. You can argue that all you want, but the facts are the facts. John McCain is still very much a very revered figure in the state of Arizona. And if you're Carrie Lake, like in 2022, and you're telling people, I don't want McCain voters to vote for me, you're going to lose. And Democrats in Pennsylvania have a 5.5% voter registration advantage. And there's also 1.2 million, 1.3 million independents, or 15% of the electorate. So those combinations make that a very difficult state for Republicans to win a Republican presidential candidate. If you can't woo independence, and Trump cannot. And here, here's probably the most damning stats. 76% of independents believe politics played a part in the decision to indict Trump. 76% of independents say, yeah, that's, that's political. It's a political witch hunt. Of course it is. 
Okay, great. They get you got it. You got independence uh, agreeing with Trump on that one. But here's here's a scary thing that should scare us all. I don't care what party you're you're with or what political affiliations you subscribe to. Seventy six percent of independents believe politics played a part in the decision to indict Trump. Yet sixty two percent of those independents still support it. So you've got a large overlap there. Say, oh yeah, yeah, pfft, yeah of course. Of course, uh, uh, politics played a, a decision in, to indict Trump, but we still support it. Again, that is not a healthy place for us to be in a supposedly civilized society. Yet here we are. So, again, you could argue that that viewpoint is immoral where people think, yeah, politics played a part, but but I'm OK with it. You that is, you can argue that's immoral, unethical, whatever. And, and I would agree with you. But it still doesn't change the fact that these people are going to get out and cast votes and they're going to vote against Trump. That's just the reality of the situation. And while many people may poo-poo a state Supreme Court as having any significant impact on the presidential race, uh, Wisconsin's Supreme Court race Tuesday night, uh, I I still don't know how to pronounce this lady's name, Janet uh, Protasiewicz, Protasiewicz. She was the progressive-backed Supreme Court candidate. Uh, she easily defeated Daniel Kelly by 11 points in that Supreme Court race, where millions were poured into that race. Why was that so important? Because it changed the balance of a court from 4-3 conservative to 4-3 progressive. So now, a lot of these reforms that were passed in the state of Wisconsin under Governor Walker, if they come before the Supreme Court... They could very easily be overturned. And guess what? All of a sudden, uh, legal challenges to ballot harvesting and ballot drop boxes in Wisconsin, you know, that took place particularly in Madison and Milwaukee via the Zuckerbucks. All of a sudden, those are there to stay. And you also had Daniel Kelly being a uh, he's a two time loser. OK, he lost uh, in Supreme Court. Elections. These are ten-year terms for the whoever's elected. Daniel Kelly lost in 2020, and then he lost this past week. And he was part of the 2020 Stop the Steal, you know, alleging uh, widespread election fraud. And voters in Wisconsin very clearly are ready to move on from that. Yet you have Trump still harps on the 20 on on allegations, unproven allegations of election fraud in 2020. Plus the January 6th riots. Trump is taking and running with Tucker Carlson's narrative that, wow, people were just walking around. In fact, they were escorted by police. Let me tell you, people are not, that is not a winning strategy. Republicans found that out the hard way in 2022. What should have been a red wave, Republicans not only lost, had a net loss of one seat in the Senate, they barely made a ripple in the House. In what was supposed in an environment that was ripe for a red wave, and it's because you had all of these candidates, particularly Trump-backed candidates, that were harping on stolen elections and January sixth, and yet you have Trump in his rallies playing footage from January sixth of people just walking around supposedly peacefully in the halls of the Capitol. Whether you think that that actually happened or not that people were walking around peacefully and yeah people were walking around peacefully and were escorted by police because that's part of the police's 
de-escalation tactics. You know, you don't all of a sudden want to start arresting people because all of a sudden a mob is probably going there. They were concerned a mob was going to bum rush them. But yet Trump's playing footage from January 6th, people walking around in the Capitol. That is not a winning strategy for the electorate. It may be great red meat for the forever Trumpers, for the nobody but Trump. But that's not a strategy to win a general election. So you can say all you want about how this Trump indictment, it's a witch hunt, it's politically motivated, it's wrong, this should not happen in a civilized society, and I agree with you 100%. But if you think that this is going to help him in a general election, again, general election, we shouldn't be focused on winning the Republican nomination. Yeah, he may win that handily, but that does not translate to general election success. So short of being convicted of a crime in his other and actually legit legal woes or his liter- or the fact that he would literally be dying, Trump is plowing ahead in the 2024 campaign. So you have to, you have to make a decision. Would you rather lose with Trump or would you rather win in a general election? If you say if it's Trump or bust, then you're going to get what you get. So I hope you're okay with losing a general election. I hope you're okay with possibly losing power and complete control of Congress and them expanding the courts and then they got a uh, then they get rid of the filibuster and then it's Katie bar the door they pass all of their progressive goodies all because you don't have the ego you don't have you don't have the ability to put aside your ego and say yeah, you know what? Maybe Trump isn't the best general election candidate. Maybe it's time to move on. Brad Carlson, the closer, uh, back with another segment on the broadcast, this very special Easter Sunday broadcast on the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Go nowhere. Hey, welcome back. AM 1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning in. Hope you all are having a blessed Easter Sunday, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today on this uh, blessed holiday. Again, check us out at Twitter, hashtag NarnShow, hashtag N-A-R-N Show for any comments or questions on today's show content. And be sure to follow us along if you haven't done so already. On Facebook, just go to Facebook.com, do a search for the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Give us a like or a follow if you haven't done so already. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in. I want to get to a uh, story, a local angle here uh, in uh, Minnesota. If you're not uh, following along at the Federalist, you absolutely should. Thefederalist.com, I know that's a a popular website among uh, some of my listeners. But if you haven't had a chance to check it out, please feel free to do so. Definitely got their finger on the pulse of uh, all things Uh, national politics. But again, this is a local angle we have here, a headline that kind of stood out uh, from a story a few months ago entitled, How Minnesota is Poised to Ban Christians, Muslims, and Jews from Teaching in Public Schools. Yeah, apparently there are some new licensing rules in Minnesota that require teachers to affirm students' transgender identities. And uh, writing that piece is the Federalist's executive editor, Joy Pullman, and she joins us right now to discuss it a little further in depth. Joy Pullman, welcome to the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, uh, obviously, the headline uh, definitely stands out, to say the least, 
regarding these new licensing rules in Minnesota. Now, again, as I alluded to, Joy, you had uh, penned this piece a few months ago, and there was also an indication in here that this will meet immediate court challenges uh, from civil liberties advocates. Uh, what can you tell us, sir? What can you update us on that, Joy Pullman? Well, uh, yes, yeah, so Minnesota is poised to move into place new regulations that would essentially bar confessing uh, you know, Christians, Jews, and Muslims from being newly licensed teachers in the state. And that right now is basically just waiting a procedural administrative law judge hurdle just tweak a few words in it before it is slated to go into effect by this summer. Um, and so, and we, we also know how, how these things go, you know, right now the rule change is, you know, using uh, is being applied to new licensees, but you know, always these new rule changes are eventually rolled out to people renewing their licenses, which happens, uh, you know, depending on the kind of initial license that teachers got in Minnesota, it can happen anywhere from you know, after the first year to, I believe, after the seventh year, teachers have to renew. So this is a really comprehensive thing. And, and if you if folks want the details, they can go to my article that you gave them the search terms for. But, um, it, I mean, really is very explicit that teachers, in order to be licensed in the state of Minnesota, now have to publicly affirm, among under other things, their students, you know, transsexual, potentially gender identities, incorporating into their lesson plans, you know, the affirm- the public affirmation of, you know, frankly, the delusion that men can become women or vice versa. Now, I could see how maybe something like this, you, you, you talk about, you know, science classes and, and biology classes, which would certainly seem to fly in the face of transgender ide- uh, ideology, but of course you, you talk about you know teaching simple math, you know fractions or algebra or maybe even uh, or English, and you know I could see some teachers saying there, well that wouldn't be really relevant to our particular subjects, but I could see how it could maybe uh, seep into there. I mean, is there, is there some consideration, some underlying issues that people aren't uh, aren't realizing, Joy Pullman? Well, I think what really the truth is, and this has been the case for a long time, is that the you know public education establishment or the edifice is really controlled by extremists. Mm. You know, the average public school teacher, you know, um, doesn't support this kind of thing. And frankly, it's a complete distraction, as you say, from what kids you know need to do to focus on their intellectual development and their social and moral development in in their childhoods. Right. So it's. I mean, and, and as I'm sure your listeners are, are very aware. You know, requiring teachers to incorporate gender ideology. In, I mean, it also includes, for example, it's not just transgender ideology required in these regulations. It's also critical race theory. You know, mm-hmm. so racial division among students, you know, not only is that a distraction from students, it's actually a you know destruction of their ability to learn, right? Because how can you learn and, and, and if you can't even, you know, if, if the learning environment is really turned into a place of social warfare. Um, so, so this is really ultimately about destroying uh, actual education for children and about turning them, you know, really their classroom experiences into you know, cultivation sessions for, for leftist politics. Yeah, and obviously people who are, you know, you, you'd mentioned specific faiths, whether it be Christians or, or Muslims or Jews, people who are very devout in their faiths and, you know, and, and toe, the, toe the line, they don't try to profess their faith or maybe even influence their students 
about their faith. I mean, this is a challenge my wife as a as an evangelical Christian faces in the public school system. You know, she just tries to be a good ambassador for for God's kingdom, but doesn't out and out tell people about what it means to be saved or anything like that. But then I would think the exact opposite would would also be true. It's like these teachers have their First Amendment rights, their right to uh, the free exercise of their religion. And it would seem to me uh, adhering to a lot of these standards would interfere with that. I mean, I would assume that's something that's probably going to be brought up in legal challenges, Joy Pullman. That's right. So, you know, the lawyers I talked with at the Upper Midwest Law Center were among the groups planning to sue this immediately once it goes into effect. Um, we're telling me that one of the chief you know, avenues of legally opposing this set of regulations is that it's a very, very obvious First Amendment violation because it commands teachers. I mean, it's, it's very interesting how religious it is, but, you know, what the regulation does is command teachers to publicly confess a secular religious right. ideology, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so it's funny because, I mean, so for me as a, you know, I would say very devout Christian, um, you know, so it's part of my religion to publicly confess what I believe. We do that every Sunday, for example, in the creed, right? Sure. Um, and so the kind of parallel religiosity, but obviously opposed religiosity going on here and being required by the state of Minnesota now of teachers is extremely interesting to me, too. It's, it's really becoming very obvious that, um, you know, the state is erecting a competing state-sponsored religion to, you know, the other ones that we have in our society, of course, which is dominant in Christianity for the United States. So when we talk, obviously, the the critical race theory aspect that you alluded to, this is something that's been coming up a lot uh, in educational standards. And you get those who uh, you know push back against these charges and say, "Well, I'm looking at uh, at these school lessons, these curriculums, and there is no subject called uh, critical race theory." And people completely uh, misconstrue what what is being indicated here. There, yeah, that's true. There is no actual subject entitled critical race theory, but the practice of it is uh, implemented into specific lessons. I mean, do you have any kind of specific examples to kind of provide clarity on that, Joy Pullman? Because I get, I know a lot of my listeners are, that's a, a lot of pushback they get from progressives where they say, well, there's no subject called critical race theory. I mean, are there any kind of insights that you could give listeners that could maybe arm them? I mean, that's like saying there's no subject called, um, you know, syntax. <laughs> right, there's right. no subject called punctuation. You know, it's involved in, you know, basically everything that you do. Oh, there's no subject called review and testing. I mean, it, and, and that's uh, honestly a completely disingenuous argument. If mm-hmm. you, you know, if you read the people who call themselves, label themselves critical race theorists, they openly state you know, people can find this easily, um, that their goal is to be systematic. You know, they're talking about systematic, systemic racism and overthrowing it, right? So, you know, their idea of their ideology is to apply and be a holistic application to every single thing that a teacher does in the classroom. And so that's why it's not just one subject. It's not like there's a critical race theory class. But what you do is transform the teaching. It's a, it's essentially, it's a philosophy. It's a religion, right? So you, you implement it through various ways in the classroom. So, you know, teachers would be familiar, for example, with talking about, 
um, a Montessori philosophy, right? So that is a, an idea of thinking about the human person that you would apply to a teaching lesson. And so is critical racism or critical theory, which is basically warms over Marxism applied to social sure. relations, right? So you would take that philosophy and apply it to every single one of your classes. And if folks go ahead and read these regulations that we're talking about, as I have multiple times, they will see very concrete examples of how the state is stipulating that teachers must apply the critical theory to sexuality and race relations to every single subject in their classroom. And so it's very clear. It's very apparent. Again, this is almost a religious, uh, it's really a religious competing religious system in its totality. Like if, you know, a teacher was teaching in a Christian school, there are ways that you teach math according to Christian philosophy. God is a God of order. He creates beauty, he creates symmetry, and we study math and science in light of that to understand what he's made, right? And so the same way the critical race theory sees racism in everything, in grammar, in syntax, in mathematical structures, that's why they reject (laughs) uh, um, accurate um, objective answers and so forth, and they teach children to do the same. So, you know, that kind of response is, it's not only, it's, you either have to be really dumb or really wicked to be making that kind of argument <laughs> because it's just flat out false. Once again, we are joined by Joy Pullman talking about her piece that she published a few months ago at The Federalist. Again, check out their fine work at thefederalist.com. A piece entitled How Minnesota is Poised to Ban Christians, Muslims, and Jews from Teaching in Public Schools, talking specifically here about how new licensing rules in Minnesota will require teachers to affirm students' transgender identities. Uh, Joy, we only have about a minute or so remaining. Obviously, uh, the vast majority of my listeners listening to this broadcast right now live within the state of Minnesota, and some may be hearing about this for the first time and as a as a result are justifiably appalled and shocked that this could be taking place. So other, uh, other than your piece, which I, I will link to at uh, the Northern Alliance Radio Network's Facebook page, are there any other good resources that people can stay engaged in, follow along to ensure that they're getting the latest and greatest information and help out in any way possible to the inevitable legal challenges that are going to be coming? Yes. I mean, so if folks um, are a place where they may have standing to join the lawsuit by the Upper Midwest Legal Center, you can reach out to them. So that would be, if you're, for example, a teacher, teaching student, someone potentially even who is a current teacher who may be up for a license renewal, um, you know, and you want to get involved there, you you can uh, get involved through that way. Or you can support the lawsuit through your donations to that organization. They are allied with Alliance Defending Freedom, really great legal outfit. You also can, you know, contact um, the state board uh, of education about this issue, um, as as well as I think really just talking to your friends and family to understand what is going on. Because I really don't think that this sort of thing is supported by the majority of Minnesotans. They do not support, um, you know, requiring Christians to essentially repudiate their faith in order to uh, be a teacher in the public schools. And so this extremist sort of, you know, um, idea really, I think even though in Minnesota is very left controlled, public visible criticism of the obvious totalitarianism of this policy, it would and, and is helpful. And so you can get involved with that, I think, through Julie Quist at the Child Protection Alliance in Minnesota. They're a great organization that's been following this closely. Fantastic. Uh, Joy Pullman, appreciate your time. Uh, have a great rest of the year, uh, Easter weekend, and uh, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Sobering as it may be, very, very vital information. Thank you very much. Thank you. AM 1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. One final segment coming up this hour on a special Easter edition of The Closer. Go nowhere.
right, welcome back. AM 1280, The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. One final segment this hour. Thanks, for always, as always, for tuning in. Hopefully you and yours are having a blessed Easter Sunday, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, we're going to get to the spirit of the Easter holiday in the second hour, but wanted to get to some news items in this first hour. Uh, alphanews.org wrote a piece recently, uh, Anthony Gakowski talking about how Attorney General Keith Ellison is taking a murder case from fellow progressive Mary Moriarty. Of course, she, the Hennepin County attorney, and the Hennepin County uh, voters were warned, you elect this woman as your attorney. She is very big into this, quote-unquote, uh, restorative justice, which is a euphemism for light sentences for some of your most violent criminals. Look, I, I 100% agree with the spirit that far too many juveniles are being tried as adults and given unconscionably long prison sentences and really don't have a chance to have be rehabilitated and get out and have a chance to be in a re uh, to kind of reinstitute into society, reenter society in a dignified manner. But there are some exceptions you have to make. And certainly uh, this one in particular, again, this is from uh, Anthony Gakowski at Alpha News, Minnesota attorney general Keith Ellison announced at the 11th hour Thursday that governor Tim walls accepted his request to take over the prosecution of Zaria McKeever's alleged murderers. The announcement follows widespread criticism of Hennepin County attorney Mary Moriarty's decision to offer plea deals to the alleged killers in juvenile court in exchange for their testimony, a departure from her predecessor who sought to certify the 15- and 17-year-old brothers as adults. So I talked about this story about a month or so ago, and even played some audio from Zaria McKeever's family who were just devastated that not only is their daughter no longer with us, but that her daughter's killers would be getting light sentences. Talking about rubbing salt in the wounds of these family members. I mean, they're already having the unconscionable pain of burying a loved one who died through horrific and unnecessary circumstances but also her killers aren't going to get justice. That that it was horrible. And as a result, this, these people were desperate. They reached out to Attorney General Keith Ellison. Now, if you, to kind of give you a refresher on the facts of this case, McKeever was murdered in Brooklyn Park last November, uh, and she had a one-year-old daughter. Apparently, her ex-boyfriend, someone by the name of Eric Haynes, uh, who himself was facing second-degree murder charges. He drove these 15- and 17-year-old brothers to uh, Erica's, or excuse me, Zaria's uh, Brooklyn Park apartment. And if her new boyfriend happened to be there, yeah, take him out too. Well, they ended up riddling the apartment with bullets, killing Zaria McKeever. Now the boyfriend, Zaria's new boyfriend, got away unharmed. Okay? And for that, this Mary Moriarty is wanting to send the 15-year-old just a couple of years of uh, you know juvenile detention, maybe get out and some probation, and he'll, he'll be all good. Well, uh, that did not sit well with Keith Ellison. Now, you can, you can take this a couple of ways. You can say kudos to Keith Ellison, you know, despite the fact 
many of my listeners probably disagree with his politics and how he has weaponized the attorney general's office, you know, used it as a political weapon against his opponents. You know, you could say, hey, this is a this is a nice departure for him, a welcome departure for Keith Ellison. He's doing the right thing here. Sure, you can take that tactic. and You may not be wrong. I'm more inclined to think that he was feeling overwhelmed by the optics of this because the family, Zaria McKeever's family, got together at a community meeting at Shiloh Temple this past Wednesday. And uh, here is the quote from Zaria McKeever's stepfather, Paul Greer. Attorney General Keith, you say you stand in solidarity with us. I don't buy that there's nothing you can do. I'm not putting you on the spot just to be doing it. You are our last hope. You give us hope when we met. You gave us hope when we met with you. You gave us things to do, and we followed it to the letter. We did everything that you suggested without fail. And here we are still trying to get justice for Zaria. In two days, the 15-year-old, who's now 16, will be given the same deal that his brother was given, and he pulled the trigger. Make no mistake about it. It was an execution. He stood over her body and put five bullets in her with a one-year-old left behind. Again, that's from Zaria McKeever's stepfather, Paul Greer. So, again, this may have been a noble thing that Attorney General Ellison has done. And, hey, I'll give him his credit. This this is what needs to be done. If if this is all about checks and balances, okay, Mary Moriarty's, well, this is not how we operate in a democracy. Well, this is about the way it's supposed to work checks and balances. If you're not properly prosecuting it is extenuate in these extenuating circumstances, the purview is under the executive branch to overtake this. Okay. But I think that Keith Ellison probably was overwhelmed by the optics of this. Another black family suffering the loss of a senseless death of their loved one and getting together and playing to him. Okay. And Keith Ellison appealed to governor walls to take this over and kudos to him for that so we'll see how this shakes out but yeah i'm inclined to think any 15 year old that stands over a woman and riddles her with bullets uh i'm not i'm thinking i'm gonna go on a limb and saying two years in a juvie's probably not gonna be fully sufficient so we'll definitely keep an eye upon this and update as needed hour number one in the books hour number two coming back in mere moments am 1280 the patriot northern alliance radio network go nowhere Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.